0: Welcome to Swift Unwrapped. Before we get started today, we have a sponsor, AWS Amplify. Uh, which is a suite of tools and services that enables you to build full stack serverless and cloud based mobile apps. Amplify gives iOS developers tools to build real world, full stack apps using their existing skill set. No need to have deep knowledge around back end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. Amplify handles that for you. Using Amplify, you can quickly get up and running with hosting, authentication, manage GraphQL, and REST APIs. Serverless functions, machine learning, and storage for files like images, videos, and PDFs. Amplify is free of charge. You only pay for the backend services your application uses above the free tier. You can check it out at awsamplify.info/slash iOS.
1: Today, we'd love to talk about a new project that was recently introduced in the Swift.org suite of projects and Swift.org blog by Carol Lorente. Uh, It's the Swift Atomics module. This is some very low-level stuff, and we'll definitely be uh, over our depth talking about this. Uh, But we'll give it a shot anyway because this stuff is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. uh, So there's a blog post um, that was posted recently on the Swift.org blog uh, introducing the the Swift Atomics package, uh, which is following this Recent trend of the Swift team just like churning out these open source packages for Swift outside of um, uh, the standard library. Um, seems like maybe some of these things will eventually make their way into the standard library. I'm um, not sure about Swift Atomics specifically, but um, some of these other packages. Um, But yeah, just kind of a side note on that. I mean, I I really appreciate how well put together these packages have been. Um, And it's really nice to just see all of this this work uh, coming out, being open source, um, and quite useful packages as well.
1: Right. There definitely does seem to be a big push lately, um, especially with server-side projects. Um, we've seen, uh, one just today about service discovery, um, for Swift services. Um, now this is more generally applicable, uh, than that. Although there's a big asterisk in, in the blog post and, and really just overall in the announcement here that, um, most people probably will never need to use this directly, um, But uh, still, it it has uses in all sorts of applications, not just um, server-side services, uh, but applications, uh, libraries that are meant to be cross-platform. But uh, we should start digging into what this actually is.
0: Right. It's actually, it's a bit ironic to release this uh, well-put-together package um, that, that implements these difficult to implement typically error prone uh, operations um, and then say, please don't use this unless you absolutely have to. Um, the They compare it to using the unsafe APIs in the standard library. Um, so I think that's enough for me. Maybe we should just end the episode here.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it. this is really a set of extremely useful but very primitive tools. Um, primitive in the sense that they they are very low down the stack, N- not primitive in the simplic- <laughs> simplistic uh, sense of the word. And uh, that being said, it'll enable building some very powerful, very robust things if you use it correctly. Um, but you should probably be wrapping whatever you're using this for um, in... Uh, in in a safer um, and probably abstracted layer on top of this, right? If you're yourself building a library, you probably want to avoid including these types in your public API. Um, You probably want to use these as an implementation detail rather than um, sort of a common currency type. Yeah. So let's talk about what the Swift Atomics package actually is. Um, If you've Programmed in C or C++, um, you've had access to uh, a set of atomic um, types and operations uh, that so far have been completely unattainable in Swift. Um, there have been efforts to wrap those C and, and C++ atomic functions um, in, in Swift, and there's actually an existing uh, project from Guillaume Nassar called Swift Atomics as well, that effectively is uh, pretty close to a one-to-one match to what uh, the, the new uh, official Swift Atomics package does. Um, and it allows atomic operations on um, various types, uh, things like pointers, um, uh, integers, unsigned integers, booleans, where you can Perform atomic operations where you know that you'll never get into an inconsistent state. Uh, at least with these very primitive values, um, you might get into an inconsistent state in terms of what your call sites are expecting and your business logic around it. Mm-hmm. But the values themselves won't ever um, won't ever conflict or get. Uh, Uh, non-exclusive access um, and crash your app. Uh, You'd have to use them, um, use the results of them incorrectly to get there. Uh, But things like loading, storing, so that's generally reading and writing, swapping, which is exchanging values. Um, So again, these are sort of primitive operations, but you can use those to um, build things like uh, dispatch once. Right. Or... Um, if, if you want to uh, ensure that you never sort of have a uh, use after check bug where you check a flag and because it was false, you go and do this thing. But in between checking and doing the thing, someone else flipped it. Um, you use these atomic operations to, uh, to, to build those concurrency primitives in, in a safer and usually more effective way.
0: Right now, everybody's going to be using this to um, to create those those flags. Uh, do this if not flag checked. Uh, but that's sort of that kind of pattern should obviously be avoided for all kinds of reasons. Um, but at least you could make it atomic now. So the the main I guess API that you would interact with here. Um, are uh, you have two new types essentially Um, and I assume these are structs or no classes Um, yes so there's a memory safe managed atomic generic class uh, which is easy to use um, at least they say and then a less convenient but more flexible unsafe atomic type, which is a generic struct, um, which requires uh, manual memory management. So both take generic type T. Uh, One is safer. You you don't have to deal with manual memory management. The other one, you do.
1: Right. The approach that this package takes in terms of its API design um, is is really interesting. Uh, It has this Atomic value protocol that a number of supported types go and conform to, um, but I'm not sure if you can actually go and add your own types that conform to atomic value. It seems like more of a way of tagging uh, the the known types that this um, that these uh, atomic wrappers uh, can handle, um, but I don't think that you can actually go in and add your own um, conformances to these. Uh, Might be wrong, but um, that's sort of what it seems at at a glance. But it has all of these types that come in the standard library that uh, it does support out of the box. Um, Managed Atomic is uh, a generic class, and so you you can parameterize it or you can specialize it on... Uh, all of, most of the various flavors of int int in 64 and 32 16 8 um, same for uint booleans uh, various types of pointers including um, including the generic pointer types like unsafe pointer and unsafe mutable pointer even optional pointers so that's sort of interesting where this is actually supporting a, a, a struct type right but optionals, special in that sense. Um, And it does uh, add a new type called double word that consists of two unsigned int values, a low and a high. And with that, it can then build support for double wide atomic primitives. So instead of just single um, word primitives like all the one that I just mentioned, um, you can use this special double word type by composing these to uint ones and supporting uh, things that are doubly wide.
0: Yeah, and um, there's also conformances for raw representable types if the raw value is also uh, an atomic type. Um, so if you have an, uh, an int-based enum, uh, you can make that atomic. Uh, I guess notably absent uh, are all of the floating point primitive types, um, which we are not completely sure, but we suspect the reason is because these atomic types are limited to a single word and the special double word type, um, sort of gets around that, but it's still limited to, um, uh, just combining two integer types. Um, to uint values specifically. Um, although I am not uh, 100% clear on that restriction or, or if it could be changed in the future.
1: Yeah, so the blog post um, actually highlights two uh, near-term additions um, to the package. The, the first is tagged atomics, and maybe we'll, we'll cover that uh, later. But the second one is supporting some atomic floating-point operations. Um, and in there, this actually, the blog post links to a, uh, GitHub issue, which is how this project's managing its, um, uh, it's, um, uh, project tracking system. So it's not using the Swift Jira. Um, and so this is issue number two on the project, implement atomic floats. Uh, so it's stating that we that they could add support for those double word types. So float double and float 16 specifically, um, not some of those extra wide floating point values. And in there, it does seem to indicate that the tricky part here is that a floating point equality is significantly more complex than equality for all the other types that we just mentioned. Right. That are a lot simpler.
0: Yeah. Which I think we, we've covered that on the show before uh, many episodes ago. If you want to go back and listen to that.
1: Right. You have to compare the underlying encoded bit patterns rather than perform floating point comparisons, which means that um, you might have surprising results if you're a uh, if you're exchanging, for example, two floating point values that, um, the Swift standard library would claim are equal, but the atomic, uh, the atomics package might not treat them as equal.
0: Right. Right. And I think the best example of that would be negative and positive zero. So taking like a, sidestep here into like floating point representation. You have one bit that represents the sign, right? So so because of that fact, uh, zero could be positive or negative, which we know in the real world, that is not a thing. And so standard library should compare positive and negative zero as equal, essentially ignoring that sign bit, right? Um, but I guess in this case with atomic values, if that happens, it means something went wrong because then the value's not atomic. It's been changed somewhere, right?
1: Um, it's more so that I don't think you can perform those floating point operations, um, uh, atomically, um, with most CPU architectures. I see. Did we say that we'd be out of our depth talking about this stuff?
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah.
1: Also, positive and negative zero imply the existence of a neutral zero and a chaotic zero. (laughs) Do those exist? Uh, They better. Yeah, I hope so. Uh,
0: And then, yeah, and then there's non, um, which is usually a specific uh, bit pattern I can't remember if that depends on architecture or the size of the type, um, but
1: well, there's a lot of non numbers, right? There's because um, they can be signal, signaling nons, Um and they oh, can right. have yes. Like, so it's it's not like it's not a an obvious bit pattern. Um, it's like all of these. I don't even know. (laughs) But there is a lot of possible uh, not a number um, instances.
0: Right. Yes. I vaguely remember this now. Um, Yes. It is much more complicated than it seems on the surface, Um, which is why I assume that uh, this issue is still open (laughs) to implement atomic floats.
1: There's some interesting uh, discourse in the Hacker News thread um, that was that was associated to to this being posted there. Um, as usual with Hacker News, um, you know, take everything in there with a grain of salt, uh, just like <laughs> what Jesse and I say about uh, <laughs> atomic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, n- there was an interesting thread here about. Um, how someone was surprised saying like, well, why would you recommend against using this? Uh, doesn't atomic mean that it's thread safe? Here we go. And um, this, yeah, this goes back to what we were saying earlier a little bit where um, the individual variables and the operations that you can perform on them might be atomic, but that is a, that's far from guaranteeing that whatever series of operations that you perform on them um is going to be safe in your domain. Right. Um and there's not a lot of safety that you can apply um as as a library author that will enforce that you're using it correctly without also giving up the entire purpose of the library which is uh this um extreme performance.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely important to note that atomicity is not thread safety and it gets a little confusing um to reason about sometimes and think through but automicity is mostly concerned about um you know you you store these bits um the set of bits they all get written nothing comes in in the middle you don't end up with garbage so you wouldn't have an integer that's like half written Uh, to memory and then another one comes in and writes in the second half.
1: Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that um, as you're incrementing something that uh, as soon as you, say you're incrementing a counter on 100 different threads at once. Mm -hmm. um, It doesn't mean that as soon as you've incremented on one thread it's immediately visible as that new value on the other. Right. And that's where there's atomic load ordering enum values and atomic update ordering enum values, that um, and a few others, atomic store ordering, where you can specify um, how strict you want the ordering to be effectively. Um, because in some cases, uh, you don't necessarily care for all threads to see um, the updated value instantly. Uh, in which case you are better off to um, to use a more relaxed ordering scheme so that um, you can get the most performance out of it um, rather than having to uh, use a slightly less efficient way that would actually update the value in all threads.
0: Right. Yeah, I think another, um, another scenario to think about would be if you have a, a class with multiple properties... Um, maybe all of those properties are atomic, but if you're manipulating all of them from different threads, um, you could end up in an inconsistent state uh, where one thread has maybe two out of five properties updated, but another thread only has one out of five properties updated. Um, To make that object thread safe, you need to lock access on it for accessing all those properties. So you have the uh, complete container, right? That's um, uh, to which access is uh, restricted across threads.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm just reading through here um, the different atomic load ordering values that come in uh, the Swift Atomics module. It's It's not an enum, but it does have a a raw value, and it only defines a a handful of of, uh, raw values. Um, There's relaxed, acquiring, uh, and sequentially consistent. Um, And these map directly to C++ memory orderings, Um, memory order relaxed, memory order acquire, and memory order CST. Um, So so sequentially consistent. Uh, So good news if you're already familiar with these C++ memory orderings is that uh, uh, your knowledge can transfer over. Bad news uh, if you haven't because these um, aren't necessarily self-explanatory. And there's a to-do comment in here or fix me saying, explain these ordering levels in more detail.
0: Right. Are these actually um, the are these a result of LLVM primitives or was it actually just implemented? Oh, here's what C++ does. We'll do the same.
1: Yeah. It's bridging over more f- from C++, uh, the language than um, than things that are built into LLVM. I see. Yeah. And what's interesting as well is that um, this package does access uh, parts of the Swift standard library that aren't public, Um, despite it being a project that lives independently from it. um, It, uh, it refers to some of its um, runtime implementations uh, dynamically, or maybe not dynamically, but um, by, by calling private parts of uh, the Swift standard library.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. There's also a lot of uh, jib files in here. Which I think we did an episode on that a while back as well, or we've at least mentioned it before. Uh, which is, you know, it's the kind of templating uh, system that uh, the standard library uses to, to avoid having to to write all this repetitive code for things like um, like all the different integer sizes, uh, where the code just varies by a uh, the size of, of the int, essentially. So you can just, like, templatize that. I don't know if templatize is a word, but it is now.
1: We also briefly talked about, it, it was more of an open question um, years ago on the show. Uh, we asked, would it even be possible to build lock-free data structures in Swift? Um, it might have been part of the... Um, episode on on algorithms that we had mm-hmm. um, but we didn't really get a good answer to that um, mostly because again it's out of our depth um, but this seems to to be the answer to that where you do need a collection of atomic types and operations in order to be able to build um, a lock free data structure uh, it's still, Um, doesn't necessarily make it easy to build that. Uh, There's still a lot of risks in terms of getting it right, but it makes it possible. Uh, Whereas previously you'd have to write a chunk of it in a different language, uh, at least.
0: Right. So there's a section in the blog post here discussing lock-free versus wait-free. And... Atomic operations in this package are guaranteed to have lock-free implementations, um, which means they're not blocking and they don't even—they don't ever need to wait on the progress of some other thread to complete. However, uh, there's not a guarantee of wait-free operations, um, and. The post here says that this depends on the capabilities of the target platform. Uh, Some of the exposed operations may be implemented by compare and exchange loops. And and so when when multiple threads are competing for access to um, the same atomic variable, you might see some unfair scheduling. Uh, where threads may repeatedly get preempted by others, uh, which forces them to retry um, an arbitrary number of times, actually. Um, And so that is something to to be aware of if you're trying to use this.
1: Right. I guess the saying that it's not weight-free means that not all of these operations correspond to just like a single CPU cycle. A single instruction. Yeah. Some may uh, incur some amount of waiting. But I do, even though the article or nowhere in the package does it actually go out and outright state this, um, it does seem like in a lot of cases where you'd otherwise used a mutex or a spin lock or other sorts of locking mechanisms, um, that you'll get uh, less weighting using these atomic operations than um, using those other mechanisms. Um, I'd be interested to know why uh, this doesn't go and outright state this. Um, it's possible that I'm misunderstanding, but that that is my understanding.
0: All right, well, I think we will just end the episode there. If we discuss this anymore, we will definitely be in over our heads. Um, so, we'd like to once again thank uh, Amplify. Again, you can find them at uh, awsamplify.info slash iOS.
1: And if you enjoy the show, please do leave a review on iTunes, and we'll see you next time.